to a new uh, topic today, and I want to invite you to imagine listening to somebody who's married that you know, and you're hearing them tell somebody else or talk to somebody else and proudly say, we've been married for 35 years. And then, yay, everyone's kind of going, yeah, that's awesome, 35 years, way to go, that's great, that's great. But there's this little turn in your stomach because you know their story. Imagine hearing that, and you know their story, you know they're struggling in their marriage incredibly, and they're doing nothing about it. They're struggling, they have been struggling, and neither of them are interested in doing anything about it. It's kind of an odd tension to be if you're in a place like that, because yes, we share the value of long-term relationship, absolutely, absolutely beautiful, beautiful thing. My main goal in life is to celebrate my 50th anniversary. I don't know what I'll do after that, but I'm shooting for 50. Uh, I mean, this is a beautiful thing, the long-term thing. I'm just kidding. I'm going to be married after that. Okay, but, but it's a beautiful thing to value this. But, but what, what, what if you know that there's no efforts in there to keep the thing beautiful, to keep the thing thriving? What we're doing this year is we are talking about different character issues, different character traits. And what we're talking about this morning is the, is the character trait of commitment, and for some, it's the C word. For some, in terms of relationships, there is this fear of commitment. It's just, I've got to be with the same person for the rest of my life. And, and I mean, it's just a, the C word and the whole deal there. Now, if you are, are not married and not interested in being committed to the person you're dating, that's not necessarily a character issue. That's, that's really not a character issue because you have the choice. Maybe it's not the right person for you to marry. That's a, maybe that's, who knows? Uh, uh, that is not a character issue. It becomes a character issue when we are in a covenant relationship, when we are connected with somebody, when we declare, I am married, I have been married for 35 years, etc., and we are doing nothing to keep that relationship strong. We are nothing to keep that commitment, uh, uh, to keep the fire going in that relationship. That becomes a character issue. Now, this morning, I'm actually not talking about human relationships. I'm not talking about your marriage. Just relax. <laughs> what I'm talking, it's just kind of a metaphor, because what I'm talking about is our relationship with God. What I'm talking about this morning is our commitment to God. If you are not committed to God, not interested in being committed in your relationship with God, that's not a character issue. It's not because we have the freedom to decide, do I want to be a follower of Christ or not? There's freedom there. We get to make that decision. It's not a character issue to say, you know, I've looked at it all. I've thought about it. I've met and read this and all that, and I've decided that's not for me. That's not a character issue. That's, that's, that's choice. That's freedom. It becomes a character issue when we say, I am a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. I have the sticker on the back of my car. And then we do nothing that shows that commitment. That there is nothing that's a part of our life that's different than if we hadn't become a follower of Christ. That's where it becomes a character issue. You see the connection with the person who's been married for 35 years? It's, it's the issue is if you, are, if, you are, um, if you call yourself a Christian, is there evidence that you're committed in that relationship with God? That's where we're going this morning. And doesn't it sound like a party? Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that uh, we get to be here and we get to connect with you. We get to learn from you and enjoy you and enjoy one another. And so, Father, I pray that you would um, 
have your way here uh, today. Stir in our hearts, really, the very thing that you desire most. This whole shebang, this whole story is about you having a reconciled relationship with us. Not just a box checked, but that you would have uh, a legitimate, intimate relationship with each and every one of us. Would you come and give us clarity this morning as to what that means? And may we lean forward into what you're inviting us into. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for those of you who are new, this whole year is wrapped up in this whole shebang package, and basically it is the overall story of God, the whole shebang from the very beginning to the uh, hints that we have about how the whole thing is going to end. It's the overall story. And right now, if you have a binder, which they are free uh, and available in the lobby, we are on the fifth tab, which is entitled The Church. We're looking at the part of the whole shebang, the story that falls in between the story we find in the Bible and the story we find ourselves in. It's the 2,000-year period, and we're looking at different characters throughout that period and the character traits that get stirred up through those characters. A couple weeks ago, we looked at uh, St. Augustine from the 4th century and then St. Patrick from the 5th century last week. Today, we're looking at the 6th century. We're looking at a guy named Benedict, and again, the character trait issue that we're talking about today is commitment to God. If we say that God is important, God is a part of our lives, then it is a a character issue as far as whether we act on that or not, whether we are committed in that relationship. Benedict, who became known later as Saint Benedict, was born just north of Rome in what is uh, obviously uh, now Italy in in that area of the world, just north of Rome. And he was born rich, he was born wealthy. He had cash. His, his dad was a Roman noble. And in his uh, teen years, the tension that he saw between the trajectory of his life and the power and the wealth that he was going to experience as the son of a Roman noble, and the tension between that and what he read in Scripture in terms of how Jesus lived and how the persons around Jesus lived, John the Baptist, etc., the, the tension between the life he was experiencing and the life he read in Scripture became enormous for him until the point where he was uh, uh, in his late teens, he decided that he was going to walk away from it all. And he, he left his uh, home, he left his, um, his wealth, he took absolutely, uh, well, he took very little into a cave that was overlooking this large, beautiful lake. And he went into this cave, a few people actually came with him, they knew him, they kind of heard about what he was planning on doing, they said, yeah, I, I'll kind of check this out. So Benedict went, and he didn't just become a hermit and say, I'm going to, you know, fry fish and grow a beard and have stories told about me. He said he was going to go because he wanted to spend the majority of his days, minutes, hours in devotion to God. He wanted to maximize his worship of God. And he was very committed to that. This is where his character comes out. Is he, just, he didn't go just hang out. He was fully devoted in his worship to God. Uh, and he did this for years, living up in a cave overlooking this lake with absolutely nothing. Um, that's commitment. I mean, that's an example of commitment, saying, yeah, I'm a follower of Christ. I, I love God. I'm going to let my life show it. And that's what he decided to do. What happened while he was up there is he developed a reputation among those who were in this community as being a devout, devout, devout follower of God. There was a monastery near there. And the leader of the monastery, 
the head monk is called the abbot. And the abbot had died, and so they were looking for a new leader, looking for a new abbot. And so they went to Benedict and said, would you come and be our new leader? And Benedict said, no. He said uh, uh, he, understand, he understood what he was doing with God. He understood enough about this monastery to say it's not going to fit. It's not going to be the right fit. So he, he declined. They pursued. They persisted. They said, we want you to be our leader. And then Benedict eventually decided that, well, th- maybe this is God. Maybe there's enough persistence here that maybe this is God inviting me into this. And so Benedict said yes, and he became the abbot of a nearby monastery. It was a bad call. Because Benedict was right. It was not a good fit. And eventually what happened, there became so much tension between him and the monks in this monastery that they planned to poison him, to kill him. These are monks, in a, these are gangsta monks in this monastery who are getting ready to poison, kill their leader. You just can't get much better story than this. The story goes that they put poison in a cup for Benedict, and when he prayed over the meal, the cup shattered, and so he didn't drink the poison. Whoa! It's awesome. There's another story that goes that these monks were trying to uh, trip up Benedict, and so what they did is they took the, the daughter of a nearby farmer and got her to dance naked around Benedict to entice him and tempt him and lure him and mess him up. Okay, And Benedict's response is that he took off all his clothes. He got naked, bad start. But then he rolled around in a thorn bush to get his mind off of this and kind of distract from the whole situation. She's going, you're weird, and walked away or whatever the deal was. Now, if you struggle with sexual sin, that's one option for you. You can give that a shot if you'd like. He decided that uh, it would better to be it would be better to be uh, thorny than uh, so me so thorny yeah. Uh, so this this is what he did. His character, his life. His miracles, his reputation, they started to kind of swell around him. And he, he left this monastery and he went back to his, to his area in a cave overlooking this lake. And people started to become interested saying, okay, something's happening with this guy. God is connected with this guy in a way that I'm not familiar with. I want to know more about it. I want to have a piece of that. And more and more people wanted to be with him, wanted to be influenced by Benedict. Something was happening in this guy's character and people wanted to be a part of it. And people came to him. And eventually, he ended up uh, developing a community over this lake. And then another community and another community. And more and more people in another community. Eventually, there were 12 monasteries, 12 full communities around this lake over which he was the abbot. He was the leader. And so this wasn't his intention, but he ended up saying, okay, I'm going to oversee this whole deal. And in order to oversee that many communities and how this was all working, he had to set up a system. He had to set up a formula, a plan. And so he wrote what is now referred to as the rule of St. Benedict. And his rule, his plan for how life was to be led on these monasteries is very strict. It says that in order to, be, to, to, be, to enter into a monastery, the first thing you needed to do was to make your intent known, knock at the door or whatever, and then stand at the front for 10 days and just stand there and waiting. 
Reminds me of Fight Club and wanting to become a, a, a part of Fight Club. And you had to wait there and people say, go home, get out of here. You're not supposed to be here. And they had to just stand there for 10 days. And the whole point of that was that was that commitment would be at the very foundation of anyone who wants to do this. We're not just kind of playing around with this. We want to know, are you committed? That sounds crazy to us. It sounds crazy. I mean, if, I, if we said, here, you got to wait for 10 days before you can come into Mountain Park, it'd be me, Juno, and Marsh singing together, you know? I mean, that's just not the way it works. We go to Fry's. If we have to wait four minutes in a line, we are ticked off. It's just this, there's just this commitment thing. He was saying, we got to have a foundation here. This is, this is where we want to start. And so he wrote the rule, the rule of um, St. Benedict. And the first rule is there is no monastery. <laughs> okay, there's another fight, job, fight club uh, reference. Sorry, uh, that wasn't in there. The, what he did in the, the rule of St. Benedict is he walks out how the days are to be spent in the monasteries. And, and the way it was structured is that there would be eight celebrations or services, if you will, every day, at least an hour long, times of worship and prayer and spending time uh, corporately and interacting with God. Eight times a day, 6 a.m., 9 a.m., noon, 3, 6 p.m., 9 p.m., midnight, and 3 a.m. Yeah, yeah. 56 times a week. They would gather for over an hour and worship and pray. We ask you to do it once. I'm just saying. I mean, no, no offense, but sometimes we say, again, i got to go to church again. Just, just kind of think in terms of the commitment thing. They were modeling an enormous level of commitment, saying eight times every day I am going to devote my time to God. The rule of St. Benedict uh, is very strict, but it's also the most influential writing in terms of the way monasteries work today. Still, that's the model. That's the most influential writing in how they work. That's how it works. It was written 1,500 years ago, and it's still the way monasteries, monasteries function today. And so we have to look into that. Why? What made St. Benedict's rule work. And the most consistent response to that is that he had a balance between formula and freedom. There was a balance in terms of setting up how are we going to have deep intimacy with God. There is a balance between formula and freedom. When we want to invest in a relationship, there has to be some sort of formula. Formula is the plan. What are we going to do? When are we going to do it? How are we going to do it? How often are we going to do it? Etc. Etc. If a relationship is solely formula, do, 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 check all this box, do this, do this, this, it's not much of a relationship. On the other hand, there's freedom. And freedom says, no, it's, it's not, there's no limitation in terms of uh, 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 being committed to a particular thing or do this or do that at this time or whatever. It's just, it's just freedom. And on the positive side of freedom is individual zeal. In Benedict's monasteries, there was an openness to, to going after God in your own particular way, and we want to encourage you to do that. So there's, there's a freedom piece. But if a relationship is all about, I'm going to do whatever I want, I'm not committed to anything, any time I want, whatever I think, whatever I want to do, whatever I want to say, that's going to be a struggling relationship. 
That's where selfishness is the monster in a relationship if it's all about freedom and there's no formula, no commitment to it. Now, it's easy for us to look at the Benedictine monastery and say, wow, they're so rigid. That's eight times a day, every three hours. They're all about formula. They're too structured. That's not the way that your heart wants to engage with God. That's a fair response. But we have swung the pendulum so far this way. In Western evangelical churches, what we say is no commitment. You go ahead and show up if you want. Don't show up if you don't want. Lots of different paths. Safe freedom, safe freedom. I talk about that. It's the way we interact. It's the way we try to function with all the difficulty of life and all the commitments you have outside of, of, of this place and God and all that kind of stuff. Safe, all this stuff. We're doing all this stuff. Freedom, freedom, freedom. I get that. I get that. It's absolutely essential. It's how we do life here in Ahwatukee, in Phoenix. Freedom, freedom, freedom. But with all that freedom, and if we are Followers of Christ, for those who say, I I am a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ. Why is it so difficult for us to commit to a daily interaction with God? With all this freedom that is so good, why does it become so difficult for many of us to have an ongoing, regular, exciting, real encounter with a living God? Where... Where's the, where's the deal? Where's the breakdown? The Bible talks about this balance of formula and freedom. It doesn't use those words. But I, th- I think it's in there. I want to spend the rest of our time looking at Philippians chapter 3. If you brought your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the book of Philippians. It's one of Paul's letters that he wrote. And the way I find it is... <clears throat> is the General Electric Power Company, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. It's a, it's a highly theological concept. Uh, but uh, if you find any of those books, then you can find Philippians. And we're in Philippians chapter 3. Again, this is, a Paul, this is a letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians. And it gives powerful insight with regard to Paul's commitment to God and what's happening in his heart and how he wants to balance formula and freedom as he continues to pursue God. Verse 2, Paul says, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. The phrase mutilators of the flesh is specifically referring to circumcision. He's referring to religious folks who are getting all caught up in in this outward act of circumcision being the indicator, the path of an inward commitment. And what he's saying is that that watch out for those dogs. Watch out for those who make formula and rules what the whole thing is about. He talks about it here. He talks about it in Galatians. He talks about it in 1 Timothy. He says, watch out for those who want to add anything to the gospel. Watch out for those who want to make formulas and rules to say you have to do this and you have to be this and you have to cut this or whatever. They are mutilators of the flesh. And he says, verse 3, for it is we, Gentiles or not Gentiles, in other words, circumcised or not circumcised physically, it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus. 
In other words, this, this commitment, this relationship that we're talking about has to do with who we worship, who we glory in. He says, we glory in Christ Jesus. That's where this is coming from. It's not because of any box that we have checked off. We are the circumcision. Elsewhere, he talks about circumcision of the heart. That there's, it's not this physical act, but it is this, it is this internal desire to say, I'm not just a Christian. I am committed in the development of my relationship with God. It matters to me. It is a priority to me. It is important for me to not just have a label, but for it to affect my life somehow. We are the circumcision, he says. He says, we put no confidence in the flesh. In other words, the outside things. Though I myself have reason for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. This is kind of his resume. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. If it has to do with a formula or a rule, or a list of things, I got you beat, I win. I've got it all. If it has to do with, uh, with things that are written down on paper, I've got this taken care of. And then, Paul kind of goes into his own heart a little bit, and reveals a little bit of what's happening in, inside his heart. And I think he becomes almost monk-like I think he talks in ways that are consistent with the story that we see in St. Benedict. He says, verse 7, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Again, this is similar to Benedict's story. Benedict was a son of a Roman noble, lots of wealth, lots of power. He gave it up to say, I consider this rubbish because I want Christ and I want all I can in my relationship with Christ. Paul says, I consider it rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him and having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. His language is fascinating here. Here we have Paul saying, verse 8, I already read this, he wanted to gain Christ. This is future. This isn't something that happened in the past. I may gain Christ. He already has Christ. He already has a relationship with Christ. Verse 9, that I may be found in him, that this would happen for me in the future. He's already been found in him. He's, he's writing the Bible at this time. He already knows God pretty well. And he says in verse 10, again, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. As if it's something in the future. He knows Christ already. This isn't just something, you know, maybe someday this is going to happen to me. He had the experience on the road to Damascus. He knows Christ, but he wants more. He wants more. He's already a Christian. He's already checked off that box. If 
He was filling out a survey. He wouldn't have to stumble on this question. He wouldn't say, not sure, undecided, ask me again in a week. Boom, I am a Christian, which is what many of us here in this room, most of us here in this room would check. Most of us in our country would check that. But Paul's saying, I want more. I don't want to be satisfied with what I've already have. I know that there is more for me, and I'm going to continue to pursue it, to continue to go after it. And that is an indicator of health in a relationship, whether it's our relationship with God or it's our relationship with one another. It's a desire to say, even though I've been married for 35 years, I haven't, I've only been married for 13, but however long you have been married, I still want more. I'm not done in this relationship. I want to know you more. It's an indicator of health in a relationship. To say, I, I, not because my arm is being twisted, because I read in some book that this is important, that I've got to ask you these five questions and learn more about your childhood. <laughs> but because I actually want to know you deeper. I believe, at the core of my being, that, that the rest of my life will be better if I know you more. That's a sign of a healthy relationship. That's a sign of a healthy relationship with God. Paul says, I want to know Christ more, even though he already knows Christ. I want more out of this. Relationships are not about rules and formulas. They're not in our, in our personal relationships, and they are not with God. They're not just limited to the formulas, do this, do this, do this, do this at this time. But I think the character of Benedict shows up in terms of the balance of these things. And because the pendulum has swung so far over here, there can be some wisdom for us to say, is there a, a formula or a rule or something that I can tap into that combined with my freedom in this relationship that I can increase my commitment? And Paul continues in verse 12, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I'm pressing on. I want more. I'm intentionally continuing to invest in my relationship with God. I press on towards the goal to win the prize. When there's no plan, when there's no formula for things that we want to be committed to, they don't happen. When there's no plan, there's no commitment. If you go about your days and say, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to live my regular life, I'm going to do my regular things, buy my regular things, uh, go out doing my regular things, and if God shows up in the midst of that, That'll be great, and I'll be interested, and I will connect with him in whatever way. But I'm going to keep going on my path. I'm not going to change my formula. I'm not going to change my plan. I'm not going to change how I do life. That's not commitment. And that's missing out on the glorious relationship that he has for us. It reminds me of an email that I've, I've periodically have gotten over the years, and I'm sure many of you have gotten the same emails, inviting you to get an easy diploma. 
So check this out. This is, these are actual words from an email that I got. Uh, subject, diplomas and degrees for what you already know. If you're too busy to sit in a classroom, you can obtain your associate diploma, bachelor, master's, or doctorate degree that shows to all what you really can do. No books, no courses, no tests, no studying. Wow. What a deal that sounds. I wish I had known that before I spent all that time in seminary. It's ridiculous. But sometimes that's the way we approach our spirituality. Sometimes that's, that's the way we approach the development of our relationship with God, our commitment to God. If you're too busy to wake up perhaps a little bit early in the morning and spend some time with God, the God who waits for you every day, you can still obtain all the beauty and the glory of being a follower of Christ and the eternity that is promised. You can have all that is offered for you. No praying, no reading, no studying, no commitment. It's kind of ridiculous. It's not, it's not fair to the God who pursues us and loves us so much. Now, there's all sorts of ways that you can bring a plan, a formula into your commitment to God, all sorts of ways. There are endless Bible studies that you can purchase from stores or you can get online. We've got multiple different options here as a church. It's a high value for us to connect with people in different ways. Our Wednesday Night Life is all about that, that you can connect with God in many different ways. These are plans. These are uh, formulas, invitations for you in the midst of your freedom in your relationship with God to walk some things out, to say, you know, I want my finances to reflect God, for example. Many, of different, uh, many different things. Those things, however, are not equal to your relationship with God. If anybody ever tells you that, to say, you've got to do this book, you must do this study, otherwise you're not as spiritual as I am, they are mutilators of the flesh. You understand what I'm saying? These things, they don't equate to a relationship with God. But they can, be, they can be powerful, powerful tools. And they're available to us to step into it. Here, here's all I'm saying today. I could have saved a lot of your time if I had just said this. And you're thinking, well, then why didn't you? I don't know. <laughs> Spend time with God. It, that's it. Just spe- I don't care how, when, how this all works. There's formulas. There's all different ways it can be done. Some people do it in long and short. One verse a day. Spend time with God. It's, it's, just, it's just that simple. Spend time with God. If you are a Christian, if you say, yes, that's, that's who I am. I am a follower of Christ. Then it is a character issue for you to make some kind of plan in terms of a commitment to that relationship. Spend time with God. And a natural resistance to that is, you know, I tried that. I tried one time, I really was struggling with something, and so I prayed for 15 minutes straight about it. And then nothing happened. So I I tried that, I'm moving on. I'm moving on to something else. Well, a relationship has cumulative value. It's not something where, boom, we can just kind of give a good 15 minutes and then, boom, we can see the needle move. 
It has cumulative value, which means that so often we don't see the benefit right there in the moment. It's like learning how to play piano or learning a language. You don't see what you're learning right there in the moment. But if you look back over a year of commitment, not a year of I wish I had, but a year of commitment, you see you actually can play the piano a little bit, or you actually can speak that language, or you actually do have an increased intimacy with the God who's been pursuing you your whole life. There's cumulative value there, and it just, we just have to give it time. Spend time with God. We know how to commit to things. When it comes to a diet plan or an exercise plan, we know how to say, well, I want freedom because this is my life and this is how I want this to work and I want to have a formula, I want to have a plan. We know how to do these things. But for those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ, it is a character issue to bring both freedom and formula into our commitment to our God. So what we're going to do this morning is wrap up and give you an opportunity to spend time with God. We're going to do what we have been doing over the last couple weeks is um, what we're calling a response time, that whatever you have brought into this room, that you would take a moment over the next 15 or minutes or so. Marsh and the band are going to come out and lead us in worship. You can stay where you are and sing. You can journal. Uh, you can come up, and there are a number of different places around the room. Just to kind of remind you, up here at the cross, is basically an opportunity to let something go. We have these red pieces of paper. You can write whatever you want and literally nail it to the cross. Say, you brought it into this room. You don't want to take it out. You want to let it go here. You can spend some time with God there. You can spend some time with God up here at the front. This is our unassisted prayer. Nobody's going to bother you. We have candles over here to the right. And uh, this is a symbol of bringing the light of Jesus into an area of your life or into the into the life of someone that you care about. Uh, we've noticed over the last few weeks that the candles have been kind of the hot item, so to speak. And uh, so what we've done is we've separated into three areas. And so just to kind of keep things moving, uh, it'll, it, it went a lot faster uh, so far this morning. And so if you would kind of use this aisle as the gathering place for the candles, and then when one area is available, just go in there. Three areas, one line, that would be great. To the right of that is... Uh, an anointing opportunity. James 5 talks about uh, when you are in need of healing, you come and be, put a little bit of oil on a cross on your forehead that represents the healing power of God. And one of our board members or pastoral staff would love to pray that over you. At each of these corners, there's what we're calling assisted prayer. Folks on our prayer team would love to pray with you about anything that's going on. We have communion available in the center back and then an offering box in the very back if you'd like to worship in that way. But now we're just going to take a few moments, and I invite you to stand. I want to pray with you. We will worship and continue, continue to connect with God. Let's pray together. Father, once again, we are thankful for your pursuit of us. That when we go days, weeks, even years, without any acknowledgement, any glimpse of a commitment in our relationship with you, you will never leave us or forsake us. When we turn around, we, when, we, when we come to an altar, when we say, I, I want to spend more time with you, God, you are there every time, and we're thankful for that today. Father, I pray that you would teach us how to increase our commitment with you. For those who, who say they're followers of Christ, that we would have the character 
displayed by Benedict that we would have a commitment in our life that shows by living differently that we live life differently because we follow you. We want to connect with you now. We want to spend time with you now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.